0: the draft deeper podcast this is your host nathan grubel joining me as always is my producer kevin black and also joining us on the show today draft winners favorite mavs draft co-host of the locked on nba draft podcast richard stamen rich how you doing today buddy
1: hey i'm doing pretty good thank you guys for having me it's good to be back
0: yes sir second time on the pod absolutely love it my friend. So The reason why I wanted to have you on, I wanted to do at least a few pods here, uh, looking at some of the lottery teams specifically with someone who is either a big fan of them or who is covering them. Um, You are an Orlando Magic and a Dallas Mavericks guy, obviously, with the being Mads Draft. I hope you're a Dallas Mavericks guy, but um, (laughs) we we were literally just talking and going over it. Other than talking about undrafted free agents, um, for the Mavericks, because they don't have a draft pick, which we'll get into that a little bit we 're really talking about who the magic would be targeting in the first round because they do have two lottery picks, so that 's what makes them really interesting and that 's why I definitely wanted to talk about them on the podcast and then i'll i'll 'll visit the Golden State situation a little more in depth at, at a later point but let let 's stick with the orlando magic rich so um obviously picks number five and eight. What would you like to see happen with both of those picks before we get into like specific names? What do you think the magic's needs are that they can fill with those two picks?
1: Yeah. So I think it starts with just getting the two best players available. I think that's really what the magic need to look at without of course, overlapping some of the current down in their court. I don't think they want to necessarily get someone like Jonathan Isaac who is an absolute stalwart on defense, but, you know, I I think they want, you know, and someone who maybe not isn't that strong in offense, like Jonathan Isaac probably tops out as a 15 points per game guy with great defense. So I don't know if someone like Scotty Barnes is who you want to, be. you kind of put him in the, he's one of the best players available, but does he overlap? So I would go with Kuminga and Booknight are my two top picks. Okay. So
0: Let's actually dive right into those names. And it's it's really interesting, Rich, you bring up those two guys. I believe those are the two guys that I actually mocked out uh, for the Magic on one of the shows I was on last week. When I'm looking at the Orlando Magic, it's, it doesn't seem clear-cut to me in terms of what they can fill with those specific picks. Like, when you look at the guys who are predicted to be available and guys who would have like a 5 through 12 grade. I don't think there's necessarily a clean fit for for many of them. You mentioned Book Knight at at number 8. I was actually going to ask you, Rich, he he's he's definitely been a target for for the magic. At least he's being mocked to be a target. Would you take him? with the fifth pick, not necessarily waiting for him to slide to the eighth pick, because I know that he's been the fifth guy on your board, and even had some people come out like Jeff Goodman. I think I I even tagged you on that tweet when when he put that out. But but you had him saying that he could be a target for the Magic at at five. I've always thought about that. When you kind of have one guy you think fills a need, do you just go up and take that guy regardless of if it might be a reach, or do you take your chances – on best player available, maybe see if he's come comes around on the second pick. Would you definitely feel comfortable waiting to take him at eight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that he's going to be gone by seven. I think that Warriors. I don't think he has passed the Warriors, to be quite honest. So I have no problem taking him at five. I also don't know how happy I'd be about passing up on Kaminga at five because I have Kaminga at four. Um, you know, I, I I this sounds like a hot take when I say things like this, but I really genuinely am a believer in Jonathan Kaminga um, having him fourth. I have him higher than Jalen green and um nothing really against green. I have him on the same tier. It's just, I think Kaminga's upside as that point forward is just so ridiculously high and that he has the superstar mold. Even if he only has like a 25, 33% chance of hitting it, you still take the swing at the fences for him. Like, so I, I would be a little bit worried to not take Kaminga, but I, I also, wouldn't mind taking Book Knight because he's my fifth-ranked player, so it aligns perfectly with the board.
0: So my main question about Kuminga regarding going to the Orlando Magic is obviously if Jonathan Isaac comes back, he's the power forward. and And I don't anticipate him being ready for the start, like right at the start of next season. I don't know if you would have any different thoughts about that, Rich, but um, Isaac's your starting power forward and your starting small forward spot I mean Shumo Kiki played pretty decently last year so I feel like if you do draft Kuminga with a top five pick I think he would have to be a little understanding that he he may not be the starter for the Orlando Magic coming into the year unless you think since you are valuing him a little higher than than some people may do you think that he'd be a better starting fit with that current core of guys better than Okiki, or who who would
1: you roll with in that small forward spot if you draft Kaminga? Yeah, I think you don't put him as a day one starter, which is a really weird situation. There, however, though, you could play him starters minutes because Jonathan Isaac, like yes. you said, I mean, I think he will be back by the start of the season, but he's not going to be playing starter minutes till a, a few games into the season. You know, like he's not ready for 30 minutes right off the bat, I don't think. So I think there's something to be said for that where you could make a lineup where Okiki and Kaminga have the same thing. They're both they're very similar players, um, which I guess kind of rounding this out does make it easier to pass on Kaminga because if you're all in on Okiki, which the magic seem to be. Um, but you could roll out a lineup where you have your two guards, Okiki, Kaminga, Isaac or Carter at the five where it's very interchangeable with what they have currently at the front court. So it makes it easier to move Kaminga in there. You're not
0: wrong. You, uh, you, you made an excellent argument about the minutes, the number of minutes that he can play, not necessarily just being named in that starting lineup. I agree wholeheartedly. The other point that you brought up, Rich, that I wanted to hit on. So this draft has the potential to get a little crazy. And what I mean by that is we, we likely know that Cade Cunningham's going a number one to the Pistons. I know Jalen Green's being mocked to Houston, the, the more mocks that pop up from media members who are really well connected to some of these staffs, you, you see Green's name popping up more and more and more. But I personally, just being able to see who's actually in that front office and who they've brought in specifically to their scouting department, some some other draft Twitter contributors who I know are analytics heavy, I'd be shocked if they don't take Mobley. That, that's the direction that I think they're going to go. Then you get to Cleveland at number three. Cleveland's been known to do some wild shit. Like, it just is what it is. It's just part of their character. Like, you could talk about the Anthony Bennett pick, but, like, at the time, like, the Deion Waiters pick was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Not everybody necessarily agreed with taking Tristan Thompson as high as they did in a draft as well. So, like, they're known to go a little bit off the board. I know Chad Ford's talked about um, Scotty Barnes potentially being a target for them with the third pick. And that wouldn't shock me in the slightest whatsoever. And then you move to Toronto, with the whole Kyle Lowry situation, it seems to me like Jalen Suggs is the perfect target for them. And, and I really think that that's where he's going to go as well. I don't I don't think Suggs slides. I think that he's one guy that Masai Ujiri is going to respect during the whole draft process. I think that's where they go. So I would have Jalen Green ranked higher. Like, he's in the same tier for me as kate cunningham i know you and i would disagree on that but if jalen green is the guy who's there at five so it's it, it could be between jalen green and jonathan Kaminga. there's
1: nothing that would entice you to take jalen green there possibly or, or, no, no, or no. even so so sorry to cut you off uh to be clear i do think that getting jalen green at five is a better value i know that kind of completely contradicts everything i've just said about Kaminga being ranked higher But I think if you look at the Orlando Magic specifically, um, and really just as at the draft as a whole, like your main objective when you draft players is it not to you know get the best available talent and try and get the highest upside players? Because if you are in like having that best chance, Jalen Green does have a higher ceiling I think than Kuminga. Again, I know I'm completely contradicting it, and I also think Jalen Green's game is easier to develop. So just to be clear, if it were uh, just to answer that, if the Magic would if they had to choose between the two or had somehow the luxury of having Jalen green, I don't think he falls past three. I would take that in a heartbeat.
0: So let's say that that choice was on the table. And I personally get to fantasize a little bit because you and I both know how much I love Cole Anthony coming out of the draft last year. I still think that he even, he really proved it this past year. Like he, he would have made my all rookie first team really for, for two reasons. I know there was some inconsistency because of the injury, but he hit two game winners as a rookie, both very impressive shots. The poise, the composure that he played with all year long, and the fact that we know that he can be a three-level scorer from that point guard spot, but he also really developed excellent chemistry with his teammates and was becoming a better floor general and a leader from that spot, not necessarily just a scorer. So I really like the development that I saw from year start to year end from him. But then you put somebody like Jalen Green next to him. So now you're talking about the situation that I would like Houston to, to dip into a little bit, which is Houston has Kevin Porter Jr., right? They have another dynamo at that lead guard spot potentially who can just fill it up, get buckets. And we see time and time again in the playoffs having two shot creators like that at the one and the two spots the two and the three. Basically those guard wing lead shot generators those are the guys that are helping win some of these tight playoff games in the in these uh high stakes basketball games so if you have a backcourt a scoring backcourt like Cole Anthony and Jalen Green I mean yeah you you talked about taking the guy with the higher ceiling and the best overall talent I think Jalen Green would probably be the best fit for that magic team out of the majority of these guys that we could talk about do you do you agree with that or do you disagree with that
1: yeah, I would agree with it. I mean, again, Jalen and Green, and especially on the Magic, the Magic have just such a weird thing. And it's almost the same thing, though, as the uh, James Book Knight argument that comes up a lot, where it's like you already have Cole Anthony, you already have RJ Hampton, you already have Mark L. Fultz. But at this point, like, although I am one of the highest on Cole Anthony, you know, I had him number five last year on my board. I, I love him. But you're not attached to anybody outside of – maybe Okiki at this point he's probably the cornerstone i would say i mean i i feel like i'm blanking on someone as i say that but even with jonathan isaac like he has health issues so i think you just got to keep getting talent and ignore all the fit as much as possible as long as there's no overlap in development that's where you don't want to cross the line
0: yeah i mean you so so you paid isaac you paid faults but to your point you're not necessarily As attached to those guys because of their injury histories, it's not necessarily even about their play on the court because Markel Fultz probably would have had an incredible breakout year had he not gotten injured. And the same could have been said for Isaac. We we all know how good of a defensive player he is, but um, he could have really made some strides offensively because we know he's been heavily working on that part of his game. So you have those two guys, you have Okiki, but yeah, the other guys around them, I mean, Cole Anthony is only going into his second year. RJ Hampton's only going to be going into his second year. There, There's, even though I'm a big fan of Wendell Carter Jr., there's, there's questions about him too because of his stagnant development offensively, as well as he hasn't been the most perimeter switchy big as he was possibly advertised to be when he was coming out. And then he's at injury trouble as well. So I agree. You're not really married to anybody necessarily on that roster, except for Chumo Kiki, if he doesn't have any more injury concerns either. Um, So if you look at at who's probably available there at five, we talked about Kuminga, we talked about the possibility of green sliding, there's a possibility that Scotty Barnes could be available at at five there as well. What do you think about Scotty Barnes, Rich? What's kind of your scouting report on him? And do you think that he might be a possible fit in that front court should they choose to to either move on from somebody else in that front court, or if you know one of those guys gets injured, goes down again, he might be a really intriguing piece to slot in there, and, and maybe he becomes one of those long term guys you have in the front court spot moving forward.
1: Yeah, so I really do like Scotty Barnes. I had him as high as three before the G League Ignite season started, uh, just because I you know the G League guys were easy to bump down at one point. Uh, so I really do like Scotty Barnes, you know, really long strides. He's a pretty good slasher uh, because of those long strides. So he can get to the rim very quickly. I, I think I saw a play the other day where he took one dribble inside, like at the three-point line, just inside it, and was at the rim within two steps. And it's just, he's absurd. It's the honest level of strides and length um, using in terms of how he uses it. So th- there's a lot to like. I think that's a really underrated area. You know, people say he's a passing and defender. I think it undersells how good of a slasher he is. He does need to obviously develop his handle and just get better at breaking guys down. But I think that's something that would come with time. But at the end of the day, you know, right now is probably the worst time to be comparing someone to him given his semifinals in the Eastern Conference. But if you got a Ben Simmons type right now who does is isn't much worse than him, you know, I think the athleticism drop off is noticeable between the two, but If you got that in Orlando, I think that actually almost be a dream, given how the front office has made a clear emphasis of their identity being defense, like that's what they want their mantra to be. And that's what it has been since this new front office took over in 2017. So Scotty Barnes fills that a lot.
0: I mean, a really smart pick and roll partner to bring in and keep developing alongside Cole Anthony, I think would be a very smart move for Orlando if he was there, because that's really the one play type where you want Cole to excel better at. And he was already showing that he was able to develop some of that chemistry with his other teammates playing out of those pick and roll sets. That's why as much as I wanted to see Vooch go to a contender, I didn't want him to be straight to Chicago. Um, You you know, I, I didn't want him to be involved in a deal like that, because I thought that if he wasn't going to go to a contender, he was developing really good chemistry with Cole Anthony. I think that he helped his growth more than anything, because you saw at the beginning of the season, not a lot of his teammates necessarily trusted him or wanted to pass him the ball back all the time because they thought that he was just going to immediately go up and shoot it. But Vooch was that one guy who really looked like he took him under his wing and gave him an opportunity to you know, express himself more offensively, teach him how to play in those pick-and-roll style sets, and the chemistry that they had together I think really showed – a playmaking side to Cole that not a lot of people besides us and a few others who are really high on him, of course thought that he had to to his game um what what do you what would you say about that in terms of the type of front court partner that that Cole needs to better vibe with what if what if Scotty Barnes was the pick? do you think that Cole Anthony could take another leap in his playmaking if he was able to play alongside another intelligent guy like that?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really well said, and a lot of people outside of Magic fans don't see that. So I appreciate that. First of all, uh, you know, something I had said last year. I think we might have even talked about this. Like I can't remember if we talked about Cole too much last year, but something I'd said was the NBA spacing for him was terrible. It was all two-point shooters. And it's very hard to thrive in, in an offense like that. And from day one, you saw that how he used screens, how teams didn't just suffocate on him, and he and he honestly wasn't used to it. It was kind of noticeable, even in the preseason. He was like, wait, aren't you going to like all swarm me? And that is a huge adjustment Cole has made, and I think that really helps him just get to his spots as he gets better at hitting those pull-up jump shots. Having someone like Vucevic who sets those great screens, and and on top of that, you have to respect him as both a popper and a roller out on the pick-and-roll, it makes him just that much more lethal. So if you could get someone around him like that, it's what, why I really wanted him if the Magic couldn't get aide cunningham you get that kind of threat to an extent yep. too depending on how much you buy his shooting so yeah i agree cole anthony gets that that pull-up shooting down and you're gonna see a big jump from him because of his big man
0: we're 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 in agreement with that one 100 my friend i think we pretty much hit on who we would target at five so then we moved to eight and i i agree with you i think james Booknight at this point is probably the right pick for him he measured out well enough at the combine um, your your co-runner on the, the Locked On NBA Draft Show, Raphael Barlow, tweeted out yesterday that um, he's really seen some awesome shooting performances in the workouts that he's seen up close with, with Booknight over the past week. And I asked him specifically about his catch and shoot mechanics. How comfortable is he shooting from a standstill in some of these workouts that you're seeing? Because that always, to me, was the biggest part of his game offensively that he needed to improve on obviously you can talk about like secondary playmaking and playing out of the pick and roll as things that he's going to need to get better at sure but i think those are a little further down the road than his first like year year and a half in the nba i don't think he's going to be asked to have a lot of those responsibilities so if we're talking about from a scoring perspective at that two spot we know how deadly he can be off the ball doing the smart things with handoffs and, and cuts to the basket and all of those things but his standstill shooting, I mean, some of his per- shooting percentages from outside were, were pretty questionable at, at UConn. So that, to me, was always going to be the biggest area of improvement for him. You bring him into that shooting guard spot, Rich. What to me, well, actually, why, did, why don't you just start by giving me your scouting report on, on book night? I've heard bits and pieces of it when you've talked about it on your show, as well as uh, with Chuck specifically on the Chuck and Darts podcast. Why don't you give me your scouting report on him? For first and foremost, because I know you have him as a top five guy.
1: Yeah, so I think it starts with the fact that his mold translates just so smoothly. Uh, In years past, you've seen those guys are the guys who come in right away and light, you know, just light defenses up. He's an excellent ball handler. I think at least great space creator, a little bit late to the game. So could keep getting better there, but that's also kind of a weird narrative. Um, and also great athlete, and I really do trust his instincts and in overall basketball IQ, especially on the defensive end more than the offensive end, which is weird for a guy like him who is made off of scoring. But overall, I think I see a three-level score because of that athleticism. I think it, once he gets that shot selection a little bit better, I think that really hurt his three-point percentage this year. I think he shot up, what, 32%. So I don't think that's, that's something that's indic- uh, indicative of, you know, Who he is as a shooter i think that was just more about his shot selection than his shooting skill so i really just buy him as a potential you know secondary tertiary creator uh for others um, at least and then really good primary self-creator on a team
0: so my comparison for for book night rich and i'll ask you for for your closest comparison to him or, or shades of in a second but my comparison for him all along has been Uh, Gary Harris, who ironically is now on the Orlando Magic because of that trade that they did with Denver. And I think if you bring in Booknight at number eight, number one, him and Cole obviously have chemistry to work together long-term from their AAU days. So that's that's really important. You're getting two teammates back together. They would love playing with each other. So that's a positive right there. But number two, you have somebody like Harris who hasn't been the dynamo on-ball shot creator really in his career that book Knight has been but harris has also been somebody who has had to find different ways to score similar to how book Knight's done it at uconn gary can be a mentor in terms of how to better approach those situations in the nba and i think he can also be a good defensive mentor for him on the perimeter as well because i think i think if book Knight wants to lock down a starting spot Long term, he's going to have to be able to defend better than he did at UConn to some degree. Although I wouldn't call him, I wouldn't call him a poor defender, but I wouldn't call him above average. So, what do you think about that comparison, Rich? Who could, uh, who could a comparison be in your eyes for for book night? And what do you think about that mentorship as long as Gary Harris is around?
1: Yeah, so I see a little bit more of the offensive upside than Gary Harris, but I'm not, I'm not mad at it because I also like Gary Harris. So. My the three names I'd actually written down, four names, excuse me, um, if you know, I never compare guys to all stars unless they're at the top of the draft and I hate doing it, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So there's two all-stars, I think they were both all-stars this year, that there's a lot of shades of, and then two really good scores that haven't been all stars slash weren't all stars. So the two all-stars that I have are Zach Levine and Bradley beal I think there's a lot of of uh similarities there is not a primary creator. I think Bradley Beal's passing is his best case scenario in the playmaking department. And, and I think, you know, he's a blend of those two guys as a scorer to me, not as athletic as Zach Levine. So, you know, unfair to really compare anybody in that department to him. But then the two guys who weren't all stars or haven't been are Colin Sexton and Monte Ellis. I see a lot of those, a lot of like, you just blended all four of those players together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, what was that?
0: I so said I love both of those guys. I love both Sexton and, and Monte Alice.
1: Yeah, I mean, day. I loved Monte and Dallas. Like, what he did here, he should have been an all-star at least once. So, you know, if you got that, that's the worst name of the four probably. If you got that, that's a damn good player.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, so, so you mentioned that you think Beal's passing is like a, a best-case scenario for, for Booknight. What do you think he really has to improve in the most from a playmaking perspective to really make some of that pop next to somebody like Cole Anthony or, or even a Markel Fultz, two guys who would be looked at as primary distributors. How do you think Booknight gets easily involved in the secondary game? And, and how would you map out his development in that area?
1: Yeah. So I think it starts with, I think he will naturally get better as a playmaker with NBA spacing and NBA movement and things like that. Like, And then the second thing is just if he improves as a driving kick guy, you're going to see a lot improve on that front. So that's what i would say are the two things is just natural um in, improvement and development as a you know as nba spacing playmaker and then also just as a driving kick guy those are the two things he has to get better at
0: are there any other guys who you would look at as potential targets at that number eight spot i have one in mind but i want to get who you might also look at first because there's still some pretty interesting names on the board even after the the top seven picks that that go out you imagine that if golden state keeps their number seven pick the popular target for them has been davion mitchell this whole time and i don't necessarily disagree with that just given where they're at as a team so um, let's assume that the guys we've talked about and then davion mitchell are off the board you have book you have some other names there is there anybody else that you would think of as a potential target for them
1: yeah there's a couple and then i would say trade back so the two i would say and actually i'd say one is a pretty high floor guy. The other is a high ceiling guy of what he does good. And that's Moses Moody is the high floor guy. I would be very intrigued by him. Uh, I think the Magic do need to quickly – I know they're not trying to win, but they do need to quickly replace Evan Fournier's shooting. Uh, I feel like that's something that hasn't been talked about whatsoever. And then the other one would be swing for the defensive fences. Like I said, you know, this is a team that their front office is trying to create a defensive identity for him. And that would be swing with Usman Garuba. I have him at number 10 on my board. Cool. I can justify it. And, you know, he's probably got one of the top defensive upsides in the class. If you can't get, if you're not comfortable with either of those, or if Moody's gone, um, go ahead and trade back in like the end of the lottery. Cause you can get it. I think there's more justifiable swings where, you, and you have more of a range to swing in in that area
0: didn't plan on dipping in the Usman Garuba at all, to be perfectly honest. But since you brought it up, Rich, let's actually stick with that point a little bit. So Garuba comes in 6'8", 220 pounds, ideally more of like a power forward type of player. But if you have somebody like him as as your role man, as a small ball center, and also as a, as a short role playmaker, again, he brings some of that similar dimension. Not quite the same player as Scotty Barnes, not as good of a player, in my opinion, as Scotty Barnes, but that same type of idea that, that, that center who is technically undersized, but he brings a lot of interesting aspects, both offensively and defensively to the table. Um, Why, why do you think that Garuba would be such an intriguing fit? And if you do is center where you would really want to play him, or do you think that he fits at, at forward alongside some of those other guys? Maybe you tweak the lineups a different way.
1: Yeah, so first of all, you know, we don't know what Wendell Carter's future is with the Magic. Of course, they just traded for him. And he was his centerpiece for Nikola Vucevic, but we don't know what's going to happen in free agency next year. We don't know if they're going to give him an extension this year. We we have no idea. So that's like, I think that would send a pretty clear message personally, but, um, you know, maybe they want to flip Wendell Carter for something else. If I mean, but I, I really don't know why they would. It would just be about establishing that defensive uh Honestly, the defensive presence because you already have Isaac and Carter. And if they want, they could develop, you know, Garuba, and then they all of a sudden have three bigs. And that makes it pretty expand- makes at least one of them pretty expendable to be traded in a, big, in a big trade.
0: Let's talk really quick about one guy who I think would be an intriguing fit for Orlando. Um, according to Mox, this would be one hell of a swing. But, Rich, I'm watching that, that, that footage that came out today, that workout footage from uh, Gavoni on Jade Springer. And, man, the, the more that I watch that kid, the more I fall in love with him. And I sent out a tweet earlier today. Some people were a little confused about the tweet. But I, I've kind of said all along, when I watch him and not, not his mechanics – going to some of his mid-range pull-up game because mechanically, although the the video shows massive improvement to me mechanically in that area, he doesn't have that lean back on some of those mid-range pull-ups he was going to anymore. But when I just look at the comfort level and how he's approaching those shots, his willingness to take those shots, he just seems like such a confident mid-range player. We already know from the tape as well as the numbers that he's more than comfortable shooting a standstill three-point shot. He can shoot off the catch do a few things off the move. He's not afraid to go to, to the basket. Big, powerful, 6'4", 200, 205-pound guard. And defensively, he has no holes in his game to me other than the things that you could ask him to do. He's not big enough. He's a guard. He's going to guard guards. But in terms of his perimeter defense, to me, there's no holes in his game. Man, I think he has some of the biggest untapped upside. Uh, of some people in this class, and I really think that if there's one guy who I think popped next year and we didn't necessarily see it coming or or not a lot of people really saw it coming, I think it could be him and I think there's a lot of different ways where he could thrive on that orlando magic team what what what's your evaluation on Springer how do you feel about him as a player rich and would you would you like that figure or would you think it'd be too much of a swing
1: it's close to too much of a swing because i, I to be quite honest, I'm concerned now. I think I've let some smoke get to my head, uh which is I don't understand why he's being mocked in the 20s. When I've had him around like 15, 13, 12 around there all year, I'm like what like, what did I just not see? And now I'm just like I go back and watching and I'm like I I still don't get it. So like on one hand if it, like just trust, trusting my own judgment, yeah, I'd probably take him there. But knowing what the NBA knows um, or like not knowing, I guess I should say it makes me so confused and almost worried. So I'm I'm fifty fifty.
0: Man, I'm I'm telling you, man, he's he him, him and Josh Christopher are just like the two guys I keep going back and, and watching and, and I become enthused with them even more. I see you you could throw Cam Thomas in there. There's so many interesting two guards who can create their own shot, who can be dynamos on or off the ball in this draft class, and, and obviously Book Knight is in that same discussion as well there's so many intriguing options for orlando at eight but some of these other teams in the back half of the lottery i can't wait to see where, where some of these guys go to be perfectly honest with you um let, let's hit on the mavericks really quick so they don't have a draft pick but like every team they gotta send guys on a summer league roster to vegas they have to look at guys to bring in the training camp some undrafted free agent targets In in your mind rich who are like one or two guys that you could see being really, really, really strong targets for for the Magic as like undrafted? For, I mean, for the Mavericks, excuse me, as undrafted free agents. Who 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 are some guys you have in mind?
1: Yeah, so there's a few. One has one might have just escaped the undrafted free agency um, <laughs> range. Actually, both of them might have at the combine, and that's McKinley Wright and and Jericho Sims. They worked really well together even in the combine. So, I. I really don't know if they're going to be undrafted, so that's that's a little bit worrisome for me. Other guys, you know, if Julian Champagny is there somehow, I would love to see him. Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. would be nice, and then uh, just to kind of wrap it up, I would if they want to stay local. There's a guy who I've gotten to see his shot uh, has changed quite a bit, and that was my biggest knock on him. He's one of the best athletes in the class, probably the best or second best, not named Jalen Green. and that's SMU's for Ron Hunt. He's kind of an obscure prospect. Um, crazy athletic, 6'8", 6'9", crazy long arms, great finisher at the rim. Can put the ball on the floor and get there and can defend multiple positions. I'd love to see them take a swing, swing on him if they want to stay local.
0: I saw some workout stuff from him the other day. And, and I agree with you, Rich. You really impressed me with, with some of the stuff I was looking at. And I think if Dallas doesn't take a swing on him, I think one of those Texas teams is going to take a swing on it. Maybe it's Dallas, maybe it's Houston, maybe it's San Antonio, but I think one of the three um, is, is going to try to bring him in. And, and who knows, maybe he, he does get like a two-way type contract with one of those teams. But you talked about McKinley Wright is obviously projected to be a backup point guard in, in the NBA. And, and I'm curious because you bring up that position in general. I'm a big Jalen Brunson guy. I've been a big Jalen Brunson guy. But he got torched in the playoffs by, the, by, by those Clippers players. Like, he was, he was played so far off the floor it's to the point where everybody's asking, like, why isn't Jalen Brunson in the game right now? Like, he could be the option to have somebody next to Luka on the floor right now. And you turn to those people and you're like, well, were you watching him just get played off the floor like five minutes ago? Like, how's <laughs> Carlisle going to go back to him and put him back in the game? So um, when you talk about targeting somebody potentially like McKinley Wright, do you see Jalen Brunson still as the long term backup point guard in Dallas? Or do you think that maybe exploring a a a low risk option like a McKinley Wright could be the eventual answer to that question? Like, no, we need to get somebody else in here. Let's take some low risk swings. Let's try and maybe find that guy while not expending, you know, too much salary or another draft pick, or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, so it's actually really hard to say because, you know, what's gotten those kind of guys like Brunson and And the people before him and the people that would normally have come in after, the guys who got those guys are gone. Carlisle maximized those backup point guards. And Donnie Nelson, as much as I wasn't a big fan of him, he did a great job at finding talent where there wasn't a lot of talent in undrafted free agency. I mean, he turned J.J. Barea into one of the greatest undrafted players of all time. And, you know, I, I think that dynamic... Being gone can almost hurt the Mavs in this front, but maybe they also take it more seriously. So it's hard to say Brunson does have, he comes an unrestricted free agent next summer. So they probably should be looking at high quality chances. Um, McKinley Wright would be a good start, but I don't know if he fully replaces what Brunson does because there is a period this year where Brunson was heavily flirting with 50, 40, 90. Uh, unfortunately, his free throws just started dropping off, but he still shot 52% and 40% from the three point line.
0: Yeah, he is. He he's he's the picture of efficiency from the backup point guard spot. Generally, um, I think the playoffs left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But yeah, I I wouldn't be so quick to to necessarily move away from him at that spot. I still think that you got to go ahead forward. You have a guy who's 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 on a good contract as your backup point guard for the future. I, yeah, I wouldn't turn away from that whatsoever. But McKinley Wright could be an interesting option there. Um, I'm a big Matt Coleman guy. He's actually my favorite um C senior point guard that's coming out in this in this draft. I was fortunate enough to have him on here for for an interview. Another Texas local kid. Maybe, maybe Dallas takes a look at him too, along with McKinley Wright. Who knows? But definitely some interesting names that you brought up there for, for Dallas to to bring in and look at. I wanna I wanna give the floor to you for, for a little bit, Rich. I I told you that I was gonna ask you. Who are, who are a few guys you think are being really undervalued in your eyes at this point in, in the draft process? The floor is yours. If you want to take your soapbox right now for, for, for anybody, lay your case <sighs> down, man. I want to hear it.
1: Man, I think it starts with DJ Stewart of Duke. I think he got a raw hand dealt to him, given the fact that you know Duke wasn't that good this year, and it was no fault of his own. Jalen Johnson leaving, Jalen Johnson getting hurt. He was overshadowed by the whole Jalen Johnson situation. Um, Jeremy Roach really didn't live up to his point no, guard. No, he it.
0: didn't.
1: Yeah, he, so I, I just, I, I don't know really if he got a fair look. I think in a lot of better contexts he does better. 34% from three just doesn't, justify, like, doesn't show how good of a shooter DJ Stewart is, and he's also a really good defender with length. So I would say him, I think he's got a very easy spot in and in, in the league. I would love to see Dallas actually uh, you know, buy a pick and get him in, you know, forty to sixty range because I think he'll be there. So that would be someone who I, I would start with him and the other guy, if you want a really high swing at the fences that I don't know why he hasn't Got him the traction maybe it's recency bias but because he missed his ncl play tournament track deeper, to man. To we want those high swings. Yeah. we want to yeah. go deep i'll well, give it to me i mean it's not this isn't that deep if you want a really deep one i'll, I'll go there next but and i'll make this one quick but most is right acc player of the year no traction late very late ba- la- very late to basketball as a late bloomer played basketball i think his senior year was his first year of high school four years later he's the acc player of the year really raw really versatile he can play both all the front court spots, honestly, play three through five in some lineups. I don't really see the modern NBA giving him a shot at three, but he could be that guy, that raw senior that is just a very big exception to the rule where you know seniors don't break out. So that would be one. And then if you really, really want to dig deep, uh, I, I will take every chance on a podcast to plug this guy because he's not coming over this year. I, I know that for certain. But whenever he does, he is going to be very good. He was one of the Rookie of the Year finalists in France. Uh, you probably see me tweet a lot about him, but Matthew Galzine out in uh, – I forget what the team is. I don't know how to say it. I've I, I botched it anyways. But he's out in France. We'll just leave it at that. Combo guard, really good passer out of the pick-and-roll, really good on-ball defender, needs to get better at pick-and-roll defense, but needs to refine his jump shot to be a little bit more consistent, and then those percentages will rise. But he's a really good combo guard at like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and good length, can defend and can pass and shoot.
0: The NBA is always looking for those guys, my friend. So it it, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that he's going to get on a radar at some point. But that's why we like to have experts like you on. We 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 love to go deep in the draft. Uh, I, I think Moses Moses right that, that you're right. It's not going like really deep, but I think it's going deep enough because. I watched him at the combine. He didn't necessarily stand out to me in particular at the combine. In more of like a quote-unquote NBA setting, we we saw him at George Tech. We know what he's capable of um, in in a college setting. What what did you feel about his performance at the combine, Rich? Did anything stand out to you that you might not have noticed before? Did it kind of just solidify what you already thought about him?
1: Yeah, nothing really stood out too much. I mean, he measured well. That those are pretty much it. I mean, I I don't take the combine. uh, Excuse me, scrimmages entirely that much unless it's a guy who were like okay you know we saw him like i'm trying to think of a prime example but someone who maybe played weaker competition those are the guys who i would look for in those cases not really um not really someone who played in a high major conference
0: well that 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 guy should have been max ace who came out and and dominated everybody. but that that didn't happen um, I guess that's a really good guy to kind of end the podcast on, Rich. I'll get your take on this. Um, I personally I'm not gonna put a lot of stock into that because he didn't just have a good college season. He had a historic college season. I understand he didn't he he was never really gonna measure out well per se, but I guess a lot of the athletic testing wasn't up to par in terms of what they expected from him. And then he didn't he didn't show out um in the combine game that he played in. So what what do you think about that whole situation with somebody like like that Rich, somebody who you were expecting to to pop off the film in some of those scrimmages, that was like his main opportunity to prove to everybody like, hey, I'm here, I deserve to be this level of draft pick, but he, he didn't necessarily make that case
1: in front of those scouts and executives out there. Yeah, so, I mean, he showed out against Oklahoma State back in December. He had a big game yeah. against Missouri. I mean, you look at some of the games he played, they had a killer out-of-conference schedule. They they played two D2 schools, and other than that, it was Oklahoma, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Wichita State, and Missouri in every single one of those games. Uh, ironically enough, actually, the D2 game was his worst because he only played nine minutes. But every other one he scored – 18, 17, 20, 36 against Oklahoma State. The dude can play. Like what we saw in the tournament wasn't a fluke. It was more of what we already knew. And I think that's, you know, a lot of times I'm like, don't buy into what happened at the tournament because, you know, like Johnny Juicing, I thought that was a fluke. That was not more of what we saw. This was more of the same. So I do think that he will return to school because of how poorly he played at the combine. That is like the one guy where it's like, okay, you can make this takeaway where it left a sour taste. He probably needs to come back. And which sucks because it's great for the college game, but it also sucks for him because what if now, like, now he, there's a few things. One, he's a year older, and then two, what if teams figure him out? Like, he lost a lot of money on that then.
0: He did because he was, he was the guy that was popping up all over the place, especially in Gavodi and Schmitz's mock to, to go to Philly at 28 to be a first-round guy, and now that's, that's Quentin Grimes taking his spot on that mock for better or worse. But, yeah, I agree. He probably needs to go back to school at this point and, and prove that nothing was a fluke if he does – if he lives up to that same level of production, not even not necessarily even he has to take a, like another step forward because really I don't know how you can take too much of a giant step forward from the production that he put out last year. But if he can do another season of that on par, help uh, Boral Roberts make a make another tournament type of run again, then yeah, we're probably back in the same spot that we were at this point, and then hopefully he can um, show out a little bit better in some of that testing and and not leave such a sour taste in in scouts minds. We, you and I are on the same page about that wholeheartedly, but with that being said, Rich, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I wanted to get your perspective on a number of different things. Like we went over, you are another person. Like I had Tyler Rucker on backboard violation, the last podcast, you do so many different things. I want you to give my audience all the plugs possible as to what you're doing. Cause you, you have so much fantastic work in so many different areas. I don't want anybody to miss it if they're not already following you.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm doing a scouting report at least one a day for the next month, I guess. Uh, or well, now what, 20, 27, 28 days um, till the NBA draft on July 29th. I try and do every a video on every single player in the draft one way or the other, whether it's this one play video or, you know, 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever it is. And uh, so I'm doing podcasts on my own at the Mavs draft podcast and then locked on NBA draft every Tuesday.
0: Awesome. And of course, they have to follow you at MavsDraft on Twitter, right. if you're not already. Right. You, you, you <laughs> dwarf me and followers at, the, at, at this point, but anybody who, for whatever reason, isn't following you, they better go follow you. So, um, Rich, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. And as always, to my audience, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I wanted to get something else out this week because we're going to take a little bit of time away for the fourth of july holiday but don't worry we're going to be coming back stronger than ever because i promised that those tears podcasts were coming that's the next segment of podcasts we're going to record it's going to be me solo in front of a mic three podcasts going over all of my tears 102 different players holy cow we're, we're going to live up to the name draft deeper over here we're going to get in some really good discussion and then from there, I plan on doing a few other podcasts. We'll do our, our, our mock drafts with Matt Mauer, NBA draft historian that I've been talking up as well. I hope to get another special guest or two on from there. But again, stay tuned if you aren't already. Follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And have a wonderful 4th of July holiday. Can't wait to reconnect back with you guys next week. Have a good one.